Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Good morning, men. Morning. Uh, we're in Romans chapter 5 this morning. This is the last uh, last week of, of a, a series that we started back in, in the fall um, called Image Bearers. Uh, been a couple weeks since we met, but we've been talking about what it means to be made in the image of God uh, and really looking at four attributes of our Father that have been inherently passed on to us. You know, So the fact that God is relational, uh, he's made us relational. The fact that God is emotional, he has the ability to feel, he has given to us that same quality and capacity. We are emotional beings. God is rational, he thinks, he's intelligent, and he has given to us the ability to think. I'm not sure how intelligent we are, but he's given us the ability uh, to think nevertheless. Uh, and so today I want to talk about what it means uh, that we're made in the image of God and that he is... Uh, volitional, and I, that's just a word that kind of rhymes with the others, but it literally just means uh, has the ability to choose, that he, God has the, the, the capacity of free choice, and that that's something that he has passed on to us, that we are beings that can make decisions. We are not robots. God has done it. I want to read uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 48 and 49 as kind of a springboard verse. Uh, it says this, New King James, it says, that the first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And as was the man of dust, that's Adam he's speaking of, uh, so also are those who are made of dust. That's us. So we, are, we bear the image of Adam, essentially. And it says, and as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And, and here's the italicized part I want you to see. It says that as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And so uh, essentially, Paul, they're talking about the resurrection of Jesus and how important it is and how uh, powerful the whole truth of that is and what it means that Jesus rose from the dead and what he accomplished in it. And so he's bringing out the truth there that you and I... We are in the image of fallen Adam, and so we bear a lot of that, but we ultimately are made in the image of God, and in Christ Jesus, we are destined to bear his same image. And so we have these inherent qualities that he's given to us, and we are growing in uh, this grace that he's given to us. And so today I want to talk about this capacity that we've been given and this privilege that we've been given of free choice. Now, it's a very interesting and it's a very puzzling thing to consider. And the reason for that is because it seems like there is an attribute of God that overrules volitionality on our part. That is the, our ability to choose. And that is the fact that God is sovereign. And sometimes it almost seems like those two things can't both be true. That God is absolutely sovereign and omniscient, meaning that he knows everything, and he's given us the ability to freely choose. Because if we have the ability to freely choose, then how does he know already what we're going to choose if we have that freedom? And, it, and it's puzzling. It causes us to, to, to kind of furrow our brow and wonder, how can these two things both be? One person put it this way. They said, uh, they said what happens when the unstoppable force of God's sovereignty collides with the immovable object of human will? 
And I love that picture because both of those things are true. You have this unstoppable force of God's sovereign power, and yet he has given us free will, and it's an immovable object. God doesn't overrule human will. And so it almost seems like, like, can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? Yeah, he did. Human will, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but he could, but he doesn't because he's given us that ability. And so uh, this choice that God has given. Now, the fact that we have the capacity to choose is biblical from the very beginning. What was the first thing that God did when he made uh, the Garden of Eden? He put two trees in it, right? And the first thing that he said to man is he said that of all the trees of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat of it lest you die. Now, that was a choice. God didn't have to put that tree there, or he could have put it there, but put a big fence around it, or he could have put it there and put a switch in Adam's brain that kept him from ever even caring about it or thinking about it or seeing it, but he didn't do that. He put it there. And then he gave him a choice. There's a tree of life, and there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yes, no, go live. And he gives Adam a choice from the very beginning. We see that not long after the fall, when Adam and Eve bore Cain and Abel, there was this incident where Cain rose up in anger and he killed his brother. And he was upset. He was, he was angry. He was messed up inside. And God came to him. And God basically gave him an ultimatum. And he said, listen, Cain, he said, sin is knocking at your door. It's lying at the door. And its desire is to rule over you. And he says, but if you do right, will you not also be blessed? God gave him a choice. He said, there's sin that you could yield to, or there is obedience. Obedience will yield blessing. Sin will yield a curse, but the choice is yours. God gave him a choice. He gives us choice. And so God grants us the ability, and then he honors us in our freedom of choice. Now, having said that, there are many things that we encounter, experience, and are that we did not choose. Okay? I did not choose to be born. That was a decision that was made uh, by someone else. I didn't make that decision. Uh, I did not choose to be born with a sinful nature. That is something that I inherited being a man of dust, being of the man of dust. I didn't choose sin or the consequences of it or the ripple effects of generations upon generations of sin and how it has affected me. I didn't choose that, but it is a fact. Also, the circumstances of my life. I did not choose any of those things. I didn't choose where I would be born, what kind of family I'd be born into. I didn't choose the genetics that would, you know, make my strengths and weaknesses what they are. I didn't choose my income level or how I would be brought up like that, what I'm skilled. There's so many circumstances of life that I did not choose. These are things that were chosen on my behalf. However, for all the things that I didn't choose... There are things that are in my power to choose. I have the choice, as do all of us in here today. We have the choice of whether or not we're going to believe what God says about life. Uh, essentially, the word of God, what we're going to do concerning the salvation that God says that he provided through his son, Jesus. I have the choice of whether or not I'm going to believe what God says about origins, about history, about redemption, about eternity. I choose if I'm going to believe that or not. What that means is that faith is a choice. 
I choose to believe. I don't say, well, I don't believe, I can't believe. No, anyone can believe. I choose whether or not I'm going to believe. And so faith is a choice. I also have the choice of whether or not I'm going to receive all of what God has granted and given. Not just the truth, but God has provided through his son a way wherein I can be forgiven of my sins, reconciled back to him in in relationship with him, and have eternal life in heaven. But I have to receive it, and that's my choice. I choose whether or not I'm going to receive that gift. John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, To as many as received him, to them gave he the authority to become the sons of God. So there's a believing But then there's a second step, which is the receiving of it, making it mine, appropriating the promise. I also, and this is is huge, I also have the choice of what I'm going to do with the circumstances of my life that I did not choose, okay? Who I am, my intelligence level, my opportunity level, all of the things in my life that I didn't choose, what am I going to do with those things? Things that happened to me when I was a child, an accident maybe or something that disabled me along the way, you know, a set of circumstances that derails my progress in life, all of those things that I didn't choose, what am I going to do with it? And I have that choice. So what's the choice? I could ignore those circumstances and pretend that they don't exist. That's a choice. I could excuse those circumstances. And, and I could excuse other bad decisions based upon some of the circumstances. Think, well, it's not my fault. If I wasn't born this way, then I wouldn't. If I wasn't born in poverty, I wouldn't be on the streets and, and you know, stealing to, to, to make a living. If my parents didn't have mental illness, I wouldn't use drugs, you know. And I can make excuses for the circumstances that I didn't choose. I could also blame other people for them. I could hide behind my circumstances, I could just, you know, keep them in front of me all the time and never break out of them and just always play the victim card. That's a choice. I'm choosing that if I want to do that. Or, on the other hand, I can take those circumstances and I can work through those things and press through them in spite of them believing what God says about me, even though I'm a man of dust. Now, We just read, right, that as we have borne the image of the earthly, Adam, right, that's all those bad circumstances, all the effects of sin in the world and in our past and in generations past, all of those things are the circumstances that we inherit being of fallen man. But what the promise is, what the Bible says, is that we also shall Should we choose to receive Christ, if we're born again after the nature of Jesus, that we shall bear the image of the heavenly man? What does that mean? It means that God, in spite of the circumstances of my life, is able to bring me through those things and elevate me to the level where I'm not kept down by those things. But I have the choice of whether or not I'm going to go there or whether I'm going to stay here. That's my choice. And so in Romans chapter 5, I want to read this to you because I think Paul explains this brilliantly, how this works, this whole idea of choosing to embrace life in Jesus' name, 
and to move forward and to grow through the things that otherwise would be setbacks for me. Notice chapter 5 of Romans, verse 1. Listen to what Paul says. He says, therefore, having been justified, just in case you didn't bring a Bible, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Okay, so he starts off with redemption. We've been saved by grace through faith. We're on a right relationship with God. We have peace with God. Now, because we have peace with God, we also have access to God by faith. We can come to him boldly like a child comes to their father. And then it says that because of that, we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, I love what he says next. Watch this. He says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Do you see that? That's circumstances. That's the stuff we don't choose. That's the stuff we would rather not have in our life, the stuff we'd rather not deal with, the stuff that we would excuse or hide behind or run away from. We glory in tribulations. Why? Knowing, watch this, that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, there's the word at the end, what is it? Hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he has given to us. Tribulation, circumstances that we didn't choose that we don't like, produce in the Christian, the believer, the person that has the love of God and the Spirit of God, it produces hope in that person. What is that hope? Look at chapter 5. You're still in chapter 5. Look at verse 12. He says, therefore, now that word therefore, it's a connective junction, meaning that he's connecting what he has just said to what he's about to say. So this relates to hope from tribulation. He says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, skip ahead because 13 and on is parenthetical. If you have your Bible, you'll see that there's parentheses there. And look down at verse 17. He says, for, that's, and so he's explaining, there's the reason, if by the one man's offense, I'll give it to you this way, if by the one man's offense, death reigned through one, that's Adam in those sinful circumstances, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, Adam's sin, Judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. That's the stuff that we hate, that we didn't choose. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. Here's what he's saying, essentially. He's saying that the circumstances that we struggle with, that we hate, that we cower under, that we think we can't beat, that we can't get over, 
those things will be taken care of by God in Jesus Christ. The culmination of Paul's argument is Romans 8, 28. Ooh, I, I didn't put it in. I thought I did. I did. Here it is. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What does that mean? It means that all of those things that I didn't choose, the circumstances that I hate, God is going to work through those things to bring me to the place that ultimately I need to be, that ultimately he describes as perfection. Because he, he says, we're going to bear the image of the heavenly man. What's he saying? He's saying that the circumstances that we did not choose are not strong enough to keep us from getting where we need to be, where God willed and God designed that we should be. That's what he is trying to say. I, uh, my daughter, Sarah, she is a little fireball. And she plays basketball. She's been playing for, I think this is her third year. And um, when she first started, I think it was three years ago, she she was spitfire. Just she'd go out and, and she would steal the ball from anyone. She was just, she, you just didn't want to be around her. But she's had a couple of setbacks. The first was an injury. She finally got scrapped. So someone got tired of it and they took a shot and, uh, and, the, and she sprained her thumb and it took her out for whatever. And, and, I, and I noticed that when that happened, she lost something. She's like, oh, wow. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the first time someone who's cocky gets knocked down, you know, and they, they lose a little bit of their edge. And she lost a little bit of her edge when she was injured. But she healed, she recovered, and she went back the following season. But she had another setback, and that is that she was downgraded to junior varsity, not because of skill level, but because of age. The team grew, and because the team grew, they had to draw a line into who was put where. And so for nothing that she could control, circumstances that she didn't like and she didn't choose, she was put into JV, and it, and it really did something to her. It affected her. Now, this year, she's back at it again. She's old enough to be back on the varsity team. She's where she wants to be. And she's had two or three practices so far this year. And I picked her up the other night, and she was walking slowly towards the car. And she got in the car, and she didn't look real happy. And I said, how was practice? And she said, it was fine. And I said, okay. I said, you got a good team? And she said, we have a team, you know. And I said to her, I said, are you going to start? And she said, no. And I said, really? I said, why not? She said, because I'm too small. And I said, really? I said, how many girls are on the team? She said, 13. And I said, well, as far as my math goes, you only have to be in the top five if you want to start. That means you only have eight that you have to be better than if you want to start. And she said, this was her exact response. She said, Dad, I don't want to get my hopes up. And I said, well, it sounds to me like you've lowered your effort to the level of your hope. You're not trying hard because you don't want to be disappointed. I said, the real issue here is not whether or not you start. The real issue here is what's motivating you. I said, is the reason we try, is the reason we go forward, is the reason we give our all, is the reason we make a commitment and move every day, is the reason because of the short-term outcomes of whether or not we're going to start in a particular season? No. I said, you don't, 
you don't give your all because of this. You set your hope higher. In other words, you're a 100% person because you're a 100% person. You put your all in because of who you want to be, not because of what you'll get to do in a given season. It's not about the temporary outcome. It's about who you want to become. What does it say? It says that tribulation produces perseverance. And I said, you work harder than anyone else on the team. Your size doesn't matter. You don't need to be the biggest because you can be the fastest. You can be the quickest. There's a million other things that you can be, even though you can't be the thing that you think is holding you back and holding you down. You need to move. You need to go. Set your hope higher. What if your lack of natural advantage will cause you to work harder than someone else and then excel beyond them for a greater period of time? What if you don't play at all? What if you don't play one minute, but you become the type of person that gives 100% for the rest of your life to everything that you do? Did you lose? You didn't lose. For us, guys... What happens if in the middle of your wrestling, your spouse never changes? She never changes. She doesn't change into the woman of your dreams or the one that you hope. What if it doesn't happen? Is that where your hope is? Have you set your hope on something so, so earthly? And so I'm not even going to try. I, I, if she's not going to become who I want her to become, then I'm not going to try in this marriage. What's the point? You've lowered your effort to the level of your hope to the level of your expectation. Is that who we're called to be? Is that what God has asked of us to do? Is that why we do what we do, just so that we can get out of it what we're going to get out of it? What if the person that you're praying for never gets healed? Or what if they ultimately die young, unexpectedly, in an unfair way? Then what? Is that why we pray? Is that why we press into God? What happens if in his will and in his sovereignty, he sees something that we don't? Do we draw back and say, well, I don't want to get my hopes up. And God didn't come through last time I prayed for it. So I'm not going to pray for it anymore because last time he didn't answer my prayer. And so I don't want to be let down again. And so I'm going to lower my effort to the level of my hope. Is that where our hope is or is our hope even higher? Because what about the person who presses in and and does their all in their marriage, even if their spouse doesn't become, but in the process of it, they learn to love unconditionally. They learn to find contentment and joy in the Lord, and they're set free from having conditional joy. What about the person who's been praying for the healing for someone else and it doesn't come and things go the other way, but in the process, you've learned something about the presence of God and you've learned how to rest in his sovereignty and in his goodness and in intimacy with him in a way that you never would have otherwise. Think about this. What if Jesus, what if Jesus at 33 years old, really? 33? Having the potential that I have, being able to do all the things that I would be able to do across at 33, I'm not doing this. (laughs) After all I've done for this nation, after all I've done for this creation, crucified, flogged, pierced, I ain't doing this. But but what if Jesus said, if I hang on a cross and die, 
then greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. See, we don't do what God has called us to do. We don't embrace the circumstances of our life that we hate or didn't choose or are hard. We don't embrace those things because of some temporary thing. We embrace them because this is what God has promised. That as we have borne the image of the earthly, so shall we also bear the image of the heavenly. And he says, press through. Embrace what it is that God has given for you and to you. Pray through the circumstances in spite of what the outcome might or might not be. Don't set your hope in some earthly expectation. Because if you do, then you will lower your efforts to the level of that expectation, which means your efforts will only be earthly. They will never rise higher. Our efforts are eternal. They're set in a hope that exceeds just what we can receive or have on this planet in the short term. Now, what does that mean? And how does it relate to choice? Here's how. Because you and I make that choice. We make it right now. We choose whether or not we want to hide behind and excuse or medicate or blame the things in our life that are difficult and hard and tricky, we can choose whether or not we want to do that, or we can say, okay, God, this is what you've given to me. This is what I have. I believe that as I've been made in the image of the earthly, I will be perfected in the image of the heavenly, that all things are working together for good. And so I will do what you've asked of me because I know that you're doing something bigger than what I could see or understand. And the hope that I'm laboring towards is beyond a hope that this world could ever provide. And the lasting effect of it is greater than what I'll have even if I achieve what I have in this world. See, the question is not what happens when the unstoppable force of God's sovereignty meets the immovable object of human will. The real question is what happens when the unstoppable force of God's sovereignty flows through an open and yielded human will. Do you understand the difference? See, it's not like, oh, how's God going to move this stubborn heart? No, it's, Lord, I'm opening my heart to you. And so let your sovereignty work in tandem with my willingness. And what do you want to do? And what happens then is that the power of the unstoppable sovereignty of God works in us and through us. And we not only become what he wants to make us, but we become an agent whereby he brings those things to fruition and completion. We're yielded to him, but we choose. That's our choice. He won't force it on us. He doesn't make us. But should we say, okay, Lord, then we have the privilege, we get the privilege of experiencing God's flow, God's move in our life, and becoming image bearers in the truest sense, to bear the image of the heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthly, we all know what that feels like, right? (laughs) We all know what it feels like to be weak, to be tempted, to fail, to be disadvantaged in some way to lack, 
to suffer, to need, to sit in silence and feel like we're honored. We all know what it feels like to bear the image of the earthly. The promise is that we will also bear the image of the heavenly. But just as Adam had that choice with the tree of knowledge and the tree of life, we have that same choice. Do we want to yield? Are we willing to yield? Are we willing to allow him to work in our lives in the way that he wants to? My prayer for us, for me, is that yes, Lord, please do your work in my life. Set my hope higher than in some earthly outcome. And may I be a 100% person, not because of what I'm going to get now, but because of who you've made me to be and who I will be eternally. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.